There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 302 of the No Encore Music Podcast. We're back and so is Craig Fitzpatrick. He's back from his travels. Hola. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm rested. Well, I might have COVID, but apart from that, I'm mentally refreshed. Well, I hope you don't. I don't think I have COVID. I had, had my test today and it all went very well, so I've... I think it's just a head cold. Apparently yeah. it's going around. There's one doing the rounds. I, I've, I, I always have a head cold. But listen, um, let's cheer up the mood then, shall we? Because you're back from your travels, and I've prepared some Welcome Back Craig music. Adam, hit it. was unexpected yeah that's, I love that. it's, uh, that's I'm from Barcelona with we're from Barcelona Craig's back I, I know it Bar- well they actually not play every, it not everyone on Tannoy on the streets <laughs> of Barcelona as I was wandering around the Gothic Quarter that was all you could hear so yeah you're like back there. you're having me on there's no way that they do that <laughs> I might I might be having you on yeah okay how was your holiday Craig went to Barcelona everybody yeah my first time I really enjoyed it um it's a lovely city and Is that the entire yeah, No, they, they didn't have that kind of music. They had, you know, you're just wandering around beautiful architecture and like, you know, the musicians on the streets aren't doing bad Glenn Hansard impressions. They're like, they sound like a musician you'd see in a David Lynch film where like the main characters just start weeping openly as they listen to the beautiful music. So it was that kind of vibe. That sounds great. It was a good time. I can't believe yeah. I'm amazed you came back. Do you want to tell everyone about the illegal activity you got up to? Oh... <laughs> I don't think you're going to get in trouble. My my favourite new bar. Yeah. (laughs) I went to watch the match last Saturday. Spurs United, was Um, it? Yeah, I was the toast of the town. I was um, 
we had Zara on last week in my stead, Angel of the Lanes, Angel of the Podcasting Lanes. I was very much Angel of the Bokery um, as I wandered in. Yeah, so basically we're looking for an Irish pub, of course, or some kind of sports bar to watch um, Spurs United. And we were passing a place that had stuff on. I think it was like NBA. And we were going past and something made me just go, I'm going to go in and ask if you like the bartender just turn on the match. This I'm going to go vibe from this place. So I went in and um, approached the barman, who was a lovely guy from Italy. I, I thought initially it was called Jesus, but it might be Diego. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a bit of a difference. Kind of a run-on sentence when he introduced himself. <laughs> it quickly transpired that he was a bit of... Um, he was he was trying he was like very enthusiastic about getting the match on, but he didn't seem to have the means to do it. But there was a laptop behind the bar, and um, yeah, I think it might have been like the sea air and the sunshine. I was just like, do you know, I can I can sort this out for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, by all means, go ahead. So I got behind the bar on the laptop and um, found a way to make the match appear on all of the screens. How, of the bar. how did and, you do uh, that? What was the magic involved here? Uh, it wasn't aware that I, you... I got online and I got a subscription, a subscription to yeah, yeah, Sky Sports. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where he was a lovely guy and it was very much like, have you, like when you've done something on the TV or like on the computer for like an elderly relative and they're shocked by it and they're like full of praise even though it's a very simple thing. So he's like on the street beckoning people in and be like, we've got the match, look at the matches on. <laughs> his wife, his Italian wife and his mother-in-law turned up halfway through and he was like explaining how the match came on and like trying to give me free drinks and like, yeah, it was a very odd scene. Like some English blokes then came in, a very nice pleasant Spurs fan which just meant we couldn't really celebrate so, United goals because he was kind of yeah. Go ahead. I'm picturing I'm picturing like before you went in, I'm picturing this man standing and looking over his books, you know, and he's like, "Oh, this we're gonna have to close. We'll never save the bar." <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, like something like, like fucking something in like a cinema paradiso or something. You just you just turned it around. Are, sorry, uh, before we finish the story, are, are you implying that you turned down the free drinks? Surely not. Oh no, there was there was shots had. Um, uh, I kind of spread them around. I, I wasn't. We were Fucking the whole thing was. The I then went to. <laughs> I was then going to a Barcelona match, so I had to leave them, my new friends. So I didn't want to overdo it. And, you want to um, see? You want to see how how this how this thing on the big screen looked actually in in person? In yeah. person, yeah, yeah. That was the logical <laughs> next step. Um, the story so takes place in nineteen twenty two. He seemed quite concerned that I was leaving at like half seven, but I I bookmarked his um new Sky Sports subscription and he was he was okay. Excellent so, work. Yeah, maybe we'll meet again one day. It's that also, was, that was Barcelona. Great story. It's also good of you to leave early because you keep the myth alive, you know, you don't, you don't want to... Very much yeah. so. Leave them wanting more. Yeah. He'll be talking about you for the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> congratulations, man. Welcome back. Good to have you. Thanks to Zara for last week. In fact, yeah, Zara Hedman yeah. will actually be here next week, I believe, I'm told, because I'm not here yeah. next week. I'm taking a week off. Yeah, it's going to be an... It's going to be an episode. I believe. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> You're just like, thank God I took this week off. Yeah, I uh, Yeah, the well. new al- album from ABBA's out, so I think that might be the one we do, and we might look at themes around that top five, but that's for another day. And another week. Hey, it'll be like that Bob Dylan top five I still haven't listened to. Right, uh, <laughs> let's move on. The top five on this episode is top five misunderstood songs inspired by Ed Sheeran, whose album we'll be reviewing later on in the company of the returning Alice Kiernan. She's been on the show before. You'll have heard her help us review Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo just this year. Alice is actually back in the music game herself. 
She's got a brand new single out now called Blue, which I would encourage you to listen to after this podcast, not before. Uh, apart from that, uh, patreon.com slash noencore. If you want to help support the show, of course, every little helps a long, long way. And we are greatly, greatly, greatly appreciative of everyone who does. Patreon.com slash noencore for bonus content. But for now, let's hit the news. <laughs> You heard about the good news? And with thanks to fine, moral, upstanding gentleman who has never broken the law, Craig Fitzpatrick, who put together the new section for me and the show this week. Yeah, and we lead with uh, some Barcelona <laughs> news. It's not all amiable Italian barmen and me <laughs> strutting in. Sometimes you get attacked by wild boars. Jesus. I believe we talked about this on the show when details were sketchy a month or two ago. But Shakira has gone into more detail about this bizarre incident a couple of months ago where wild boars snatched her handbag while she was relaxing in a Barcelona park. Um so she's kind of bemoaned the fact that people around her did nothing, the kind of surreal situation she found herself in. There was two wild boars, probably not a joking matter because I can imagine that is quite terrifying. They could fucking kill you, man. Ter- yeah, as someone that was terrified when a seagull nicked my sandwich once, uh, wild boars, yeah, I'd be heading for the hills. She's talked about it in a new interview. Um, it was herself and her son. They were left to defend themselves from the ambush by two large hogs. Um, Sorry, can well, I just... People weren't doing anything. Yeah, um, they used the word ambush there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to step in here. This sounds like it was a premeditated, coordinated attack, and I don't I know, think it was. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think well, it was like some it's, kind of heist yeah, situation. After, after I read some of these quotes. Uh, it's just crazy, she reflected to glamour of the incident. I was taking my son, Milan, or Milan, for a walk in the park, and I got him a little ice cream. It's known as a gelato over there, Dave. And we sat on... (laughs) Please pepper. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to pepper in as much colloquialisms and knowledge as you can over the course of this episode. Come on. That might be the extent of it. Um, the quote goes on. We sat on one of those park benches and we were minding, uh, we were just minding our own business. And then two huge wild boars came from the back and ambushed us and took my purse. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And screaming because they were taking it away with my phone in it, my car keys, everything. Like they could understand me and people were just watching and they weren't doing anything. They started digging inside my purse Obviously, my son's sandwich was inside the purse, so that's why they were so <laughs> interested. Of course, they love a whole sandwich. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> so they took the sandwich and walked away and left my purse, which is nice of them. Walked uh, away? It was wild. Like, 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 jump onto a nearby tram. Like, this is an insane story. <laughs> we can laugh about it because everyone's it's fine. It's an insane story, but apparently, yeah, apparently this happens a fair bit over there. So it is like um, So according to yeah. the BBC, yeah, yeah, like um, over... Uh, what was it? 1,187 phone calls were made to Spanish police about wild hogs in Barcelona in 2016 alone. I guess the last time they recorded those numbers. Um, with animals, uh, the animals attacking dogs, holding up traffic, holding up traffic again like they're in a car- getaway car. Um, <laughs> in Driver 2013, <laughs> well, in 2013, a police officer in Barcelona aimed to retaliate at a boar. <laughs> In this city by shooting at it. Again. The language. Like there was some vendetta. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> but he he missed the boar and instead hit his partner. This is this serious thing. This thing is he create like they're known for their, their ability to mystify. So, you know, it's like a, it's like a summon in Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. It's like... uh, but apparently this is a pr- problem right across Europe. Um, wild boar numbers in urban centres have increased massively. Uh, across the continent. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I look over. forward to Tony Houlihan's next press conference about the wild boar problem currently sweeping the country. 
Yeah, so um, recent estimates claim that over 10 million boar live across the continent. And then the story wraps with, meanwhile, earlier this year, Shakira joined more than 2,000 songwriters and artists in signing an open letter to all record labels as part of an ongoing campaign to establish fair pay to, for songwriters. I thought that was going to end up being like thought protection that it was against wild boars. Eliminate no, wild boars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're having good fun yeah. with this, but wild boars can kill wild you. Boars. <laughs> wild boars! Wild boars! They can, yeah. And um, <laughs> Duran Duran. Oh my God. What a Duran Duran classic. Wonderful. Yeah. So listen, here's the thing, right? Um, I understand where she's coming from real quick with the whole, like, people are just watching, but it, w- it makes me think of the whole, you know, the Good Samaritan law. Was that actually, was that, ever, was that ever a thing or was that just a Seinfeld plot line in the last episode of the show? No, I think that's been proven where the more people that are around, the less likely it is that someone will actually do something to help because yeah. everyone just assumes that someone else would do it. I will say, I mean, I can understand trepidation on the behalf of people because people were either probably bemused or frightened but also I will say if I found myself in that scenario and you could have Greg because you were in the vicinity for this sure time, yeah I think you'd be like okay there's two giant wild boars over there harassing that woman I'm not going to fucking wait that's Shakira you're like that's where the whole he's about to risk it all thing actually becomes really kind of prevalent you're like well it's never and ever so where was Jared Piquet steal, steal her away from Jared Piquet where was yeah. he he was um, he was being held to a, probably a one-all draw against relegation opposition uh, as he was in the match I saw wonderful stuff it's been tough times for Barca yeah wonderful stuff great story I don't know how we're going to continue that but uh you, you can't top that one what have you got for us next um we've got maybe our second favorite awards show um after of course Big Ivor, the Ivor Novellos, which yeah, course, is yeah. Um, yeah, fan favourite around here. Um, it was a special live return for Cleveland's answer to the Ivor Novellas. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which we talk about quite a lot. I don't really know why. I guess because the nominations <laughs> seem to crop up every couple of months and then there's yeah, like months of yeah, infighting. Just, just, and then, just give me, the, just give me the, the bullet points here on this one and we'll move on. Okay, well, they were back uh, doing it in person and it was a pretty powerful lineup as it's described here which is true actually um you had a former united states president it was barack obama wasn't trump uh taylor swift was there and a beetle and jay-z was inducted um he got a kind of big razzmatazz video introduction that had barack obama talking about how he's turned to jay-z's words at different points in his life he did a whole dirt off my shoulder reference um there was the likes of Beyonce, of course, Chris Rock. I, I say of course. I mean, she didn't have to do it, but it might have been <laughs> awkward if she didn't. LeBron James, Dave Chappelle spoke. And Jay-Z didn't perform, but he did like a meandering kind of 10-minute speech. And he did his thing, which he does a lot of these kind of tributes to him, where he just talks about all his kind of heroes, which is quite endearing. Um, and also I noticed in a kind of a, a similar story, he, he joined Instagram and then I think he just deleted it. And this was very similar to, he was honoured at something a couple of years ago. And you remember he got on Twitter and started tweeting loads of stuff of just naming all of the rap artists he could think of and being like, love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> just like He's like, I don't know how this works. I'm leaving this. So yeah, he's just like, I think he just like has the kind of champagne at the ceremony and he's just like, I'm going to sign up to this social media site, which I quite like. But apart from Jay, and of course, he made some great points about how, you know, there was so many years where it just seemed like um, hip hop was seen as um, a bit of a fad, which seems utterly ridiculous now. And those kind of artists would never get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And of course, you know, Rock and Roll, what does it even mean anymore? It's just really a musical Hall of Fame. Um, Carol King was also inducted. That's why Taylor Swift was there. Uh, I think she did a bit of a medley. She certainly did Will uh, You Love Me Tomorrow as a kind of pulsating synth pop ballad, which I will definitely have to check out. And just talked about how, you know, Carol King, we've talked about in the show before, 
tremendous talent and real trailblazer and she spoke she got quite kind of tearful um, after Taylor's tribute and spoke about how she's kind of carrying the flag the Foo Fighters were inducted Dave oh good <laughs> the nicest man I sorry, first no, time no, of asking the nicest man in yeah. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah inducted by one of the other nicest men Paul McCartney all right. who did his very jovial kind of like making it all about me thing <laughs> where he was kind of like what did he say? He, yeah, he said, um, he jokingly pointed out how Dave Grohl followed in his own footsteps, but were swept up by music at a young age, McCartney said, landing in popular groups that came to an untimely end. Both rebounded by making albums and playing all the musical parts. <laughs> <laughs> the Beatle cracked. Do you think this guy's stalking me? <laughs> it's great. That's very He's talking about his own career. Very it's very McCartney. And yeah, we're here for it. Can I, um, can I ask you, on, um, yeah. like, like the, these are fairly, yeah, like, I mean, no objection to either of Jay-Z or Foo Fighters being there. They should be there. Um, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame can be selective and can snub people. Uh, I'm curious, what do you think the odds are, Craig, of Aaron Lewis of Stained or Stained themselves ending up on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame someday? Do you think that'll happen? I don't know if Bruce Springsteen is part of the um, committee that decides these things. I assume he's already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so he might be able to, like, I don't know, pull his card and just be like, listen, Aaron Lewis, you're out, because they've been beefing. And when I say they, Aaron Lewis <laughs> has just criticised Bruce Springsteen uh, because he's, I guess, not right wing. And Bruce Springsteen has maintained a dignified silence, but he's opened up um, to... Candace Owens, uh, who's described here as a right-wing provocateur, which is one way to describe her, uh, about his track that he wrote, which kind of took a jab at Bruce. This is the song, it's a solo track. We've talked before about Aaron Lewis uh, of Stained Fame going solo and going very country and doing a lot of like, you know, um, Red, White and Blue, I, re- I bleed, you know, Red, White and Blue and uh, this is my America and he's gone for that kind of not even middle America um, audience, but that kind of, I don't know, Trumpian America audience. Um, this is the song, Am I the Only One? He's got this annoying knack for doing kind of decent enough hooks. So it has kind of been stuck in my head for many months. Well, but he has a lyric the, in there. This is yeah. the writer of Outside and it's been a while that you're talking about, Craig. So of course. Been a while. <laughs> yeah. But one of the lyrics in it where he's basically just trying to do a thing where he's saying, oh, we're all so divided at this moment in time, but actually he just kind of is taking jabs at liberals and he kind of, towards the end, he sings, am I the only one who quit, who quits singing along every time they play a Springsteen song? <laughs> as if his hero has like abandoned him. And he was asked about it by Candace Owens, why he singled out Bruce? And Lewis said, because he's always portrayed himself as the all-American middle-class guy. And during all of this craziness, he said that if one man is re-elected to the office of presidency, that he was going to move to Australia. How American is that? <laughs> yeah, it's not American at all to move somewhere to find a better life for yourself. Uh, <laughs> you're going to bail on America just because you don't like the guy that may have gotten into office. Um, so yeah, that was that was the thing behind it. I wonder if Bruce is aware that like he's in, involved in a beef. I doubt it. Do you it. reckon he gets like a briefing? Like someone <laughs> on his team is just like, you might want to check this out. I doubt it. Remember, to, yeah. remember it's been a while and Bruce is like, oh yeah, it's been a while. It was a decent song. <laughs> Mud, Shovel, Mud Shovel is a good tune um, <laughs> of their second album. I mean, yeah, it's upsetting. I mean, I'm, I, I, it makes me kind of upset that I I, I, I saw Stained Live in the Point Theatre uh, back in the oh, wow. day. Um, and they always seemed like the more considered act in that, yeah. like, you know, 
new metal era. Yeah, like for sure. he seemed like a bit of an elder statesman when he arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was introspective. I guess, just next to Fred Durst. Emotional. Introspective. Unafraid to show vulnerability. Yeah. I paid twenty three Irish pounds, Craig, for an import copy of Break the Cycle in whatever HMV I bought it in in Dublin when I was Whoa. like a teenager. <laughs> I know. And and <laughs> look how copy. look how I've been repaid here. This is terrible stuff. I'm not happy. We'll move on though. What's Madonna up to this week? Madonna, it's not good, I don't think. Um, she's, I don't know, maybe she's seeing Aaron Lewis's point of view a bit. She said there's no debate or discussion over vaccines, all right? Uh, thanks to the fear permeated by cancel culture. So this was yet another interview. This was V Magazine this time. She was talking to playwright Jeremy O'Harris um, and just basically getting into the vaccine debate Um you know, the stuff about jabs for COVID. She's saying that it's stilted due to kind of fear of being reprimanded for having certain opinions, which I guess is, you know, a fair point. So, yeah, people are cautious of what they're saying these days, to be sure. And Madonna, an artist that over the decades has done a lot, I guess, in a positive way to move the conversation forward and speak her mind. And maybe she just keeps speaking her mind. Um, and do we call her out for that? Maybe we do. She says it's interesting because peace is subjective. They're on the topic of how that might be affected by a pandemic. She says the way people think about the pandemic, for instance, that the vaccination is the only answer, the polarization of thinking you're either on this side or the other. There's no debate. There's no discussion. This seems very much like it could be an Aaron Lewis quote. <laughs> and she just, she's worried and concerned about cancel culture, Dave. Okay. Um, she says disturbing the peace is probably an act of treason. And then in fairness to Harris, uh, it comes back with um, him saying that he doesn't really believe that cancel culture is as frightening as some people feel it is and Madonna just says she's worried about you know the quieter you get the more fearful you get the more dangerous anything is um, which you know there's a point in that but not really a point around the vaccines get your vaccine get your vaccine Madonna you know She'll be. I, look, she'll, I have a lot of time she, for she'll Madonna. be okay. Like, she'll be okay. She'll be fine. Don't worry she'll about it. be fine. Let's let's get in the mood for album review. Let's let, let's pivot to a more wholesome person who's just saying nice things, I suppose. Uh, Ed Sheeran's been doing the media rounds. Craig, did you did you find anything of note yeah. in there? Well, he's just recovering from COVID, <laughs> um, so he knows all about this. And maybe he needs to have a sit down with Madonna and sort all of this out. He certainly got the star power for sure. But um, he's been cleared to um, play SNL. There was concerns that he might not make it. Um, in terms of that performance, not overall. I think he was he was fine. Uh, he said he got a fairly mild dose of it. Um, he was a bit knocked out. He missed his album release. Um, slept through upsetting, it. I guess. That's pretty rock star. He slept through That's it. Cool. But I guess, yeah, yeah. It, when I initially saw that headline, I was like, was he at some kind of gathering or something? That I'm sure his social great. team... He just, in, he just went to bed yeah, early. I'm yeah. sure his social team ensured that all the right posts went out at the right time, but he was just asleep. That's kind of... That's okay. It's not, there's something kind of wholesome about that, you know? Good for him. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So it's it's good to hear that he's on the mend. And there was this whole kind of Twitter thing of different acts kind of going, oh, we'll play SNL instead of him. Um, Mountain Goats being one, John Daniel kind of tweeted jokingly, he fears our power when they had a kind of compa- uh, campaign to get on the show, but he then quickly got serious and said, you know, to be serious, Dad, I'm glad Ed Sheeran is healed and gets to play. It's scary this whole time. And the effect it has had on uh, touring musicians um, and how we live our lives is something are uh, sometimes difficult and painful. Knock him dead, Ed, um, which is, again, weird. He's also Ed's also talked about how he didn't expect the massive backlash to his Game of Thrones cameo. Yeah, I saw this one during the week. I wrote, I wrote a story yeah. on this. I, I guess he did because, like, I, I noticed that the one you have here is from a, a radio show he did. But he said he had a very similar story on the 
Dax Shepard podcast, uh, which... Oh yeah, Dax Shepard's a big podcast. He's a big podcast guy. And like, I, I just saw it doing the rounds. I was working the shift. So I was like, oh, that sounds like an interesting story. And yeah, essentially he said that... Uh, so he appears in Game of Thrones. He's in the first episode of season seven. He sings a song and then he chats to Arya. He's a Lannister soldier. You think he's going to die horrifically. He doesn't. Although you do find out later in the show, he's referenced that like a dragon burnt his face off or something. But like essentially, um, games Game of Thrones often had cameos. Like Gary Lightbody was in there very briefly. Won a Coldplay, won a Cigarose. Coldplay. They've, they've yeah. the National over the end credits. They have like... The whole steady over the end credits. It had a weird musical tie-in here and there for a medieval show about violence. Um, Ed Sheeran, I remember people being like, oh, fucking... Like, going crazy. Um, it is Ed jarring. Sure was the least of that show's problems by, by that, that point, yeah, for sure. It is <laughs> yeah. jarring. I likened it to uh, that bit in uh, everyone's favourite film, everyone's favourite franchise starter, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, in which at one stage, a man in a knight costume turns around and it's David Beckham, mate. Um, like, the celebrity cameo can be, it's a weird thing. But yeah, Sheeran basically said that the that he really loved doing it. He's a huge fan of the show. He became, Gary Lightbody yeah. got him into it and then Sheeran would like binge it and show it to his mates. Apparently, Sheeran, now, in fairness, I will say to him, not that he deserved hatred for what happened, but like dug his own bed here because he he got onto the producers and was like, Can I cameo? And was like chatting to them for years, apparently. So he's trying to arrange his own cameo. It happened. And then people gave out about it. And he said, and I quote, it muddied my joy. What do you think? I love that phrase, first of all. Um, and yeah, he said he's got to be more careful um when he's offered cameos now. I and I think that reference later on where you hear that like he ended up getting his eyelids singed off or something, it was real kind of fan service because they knew people hated that. So that was again just like symptomatic of how much they you know, how on the nose the writers got at that stage. I can see like if he was a fan, I, d- I don't get the impulse to be like, I am a fan of this show. I now want to insert myself into it. But I can also understand how he probably thinks people don't hate him that much that like him just popping up for a few seconds is going to ruin the show. At the time, yeah, it took me out of that scene, but um, a lot of <laughs> the artistic and creative choices on that show in the last couple of series just took me out of most of the scenes. So yeah, the least of that show's problems. Well, speaking of scenes, the Irish music scene has welcomed back Alice Kiernan to its uh, to its warm embrace, I suppose. Alice, of course, yeah. friend of the show, has previously been on the podcast. She's helped us review records before and she's a good friend of ours. Her new single, Blue, is out now. We're going to take a listen to that. We're going to have a chat to Alice about the song and then... We will get into Ed Sheeran Corner for real as we review the record. Here's Blue by Alice Kiernan. I'll do anything to be just like you And I know that what I see is not true Inside a fantasy, no one around but me I'm blue, I'm obsessed, I'm alone I'm confused, take my hand and shake my soul Make it move, make it a fantasy Someone's surrounding me That's Blue by the amazing Alice Kiernan, who joins us once again on No Encore. Alice, hello. Congratulations. Well done. Thank you so much. It was awful watching your face listen to that song. <laughs> I mean, at least when I played it for you, I just had to I just had to watch the WhatsApp come up with two blue ticks. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I was going through my notes there. I was wondering, though, I mean, it has been a while since you've released a single. This, of course, is your comeback. Um, yeah. Like, what's it like for you in these weird kind of, especially over Zoom, just having to have that weird kind of solemnity to a track that you've obviously had a very different experience with and then obviously you've released to the world, you're back in business. What kind of week has it been? Um, You know, it's, I feel like everything about this song, um, 
just screams COVID. So one, I wrote it in January 2020. So probably the grimmest time in everyone's life, hence it being called Blue. Um, And then I worked with Alex O'Keefe, the producer on it. We did all of the production over Zoom, um, which worked incredibly. Like when he suggested it to me, I was like, there is no way this is going to work. But I do all of my demos myself, sent them all over to me. It's such a good idea of how I wanted it to sound. So Zoom worked really well. Um, And then even just like, even right up until the music video, like I did that with my housemate. So like everything was just so bubbled and like COVID. So it just seems very fitting to then also have to release it. And like, I don't feel like I anticipated anything other than a COVID release. It was, this wasn't something that I made outside of a COVID time. There was no anticipation for this to be gigged or for this to be any bigger than an online I do better online I'm an online person so this just suited <laughs> me to the ground to be honest with you I think we're all online people um but yeah so I mean like if I have my timeline correctly I know that you started kind of putting out poetry for a while um which I think was pre-pandemic am I right in saying mm-hmm. that and then, just about yeah yeah and kind of carried it through for a while and that was kind of I guess you created outlet for a while you have previously released music before but you took a break from that so um, is this like a full-time comeback or was this just something, was this song in particular something you had to get out of your system? Like, like why beyond the COVID, I guess, associations, why now for a return to this kind of style of music and this kind of artistry, I suppose? Yeah. I mean, it obviously had been a while since I released, um, and I knew that I had to come back with something that was in a way kind of the opposite to everything I had done before. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. My first single running now was incredibly pink themed. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to release another single for the first time in two years, I have to do the exact opposite to what Running Now was. And I sat down and was like, what is the opposite to pink? And I was like, blue. So then I was like, I'm I'm going to write a song called Blue <laughs> um, and just rolled at it from there. Because I just, yeah, I was very aware of like the gap. Um, and I think even to... Yeah, I just had to come up with something that was a complete opposite. And, and like not even sound wise, even though I know it is kind of different to running now, it's a lot more poppy. For someone who sings and plays guitar, none of my songs really have an acoustic guitar on them. I think I'm like fed up with that sound that by the time I get to production, I'm like, nope, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I just need to come up with something that was the opposite um, without addressing the fact that it had been so long, but also just giving a little bit of a nod to it at the same time. It's um yeah, it's a David Byrne-esque kind of mechanic there, which I quite appreciate the uh, the the concept thereof. However, um you know, I guess we could let the listeners in a little secret if we want to. Um, you did send it to me. Um, I was, I was very very I was very very privileged to be sent this song about a week or two before its release. And do you want to let everyone know what my what my what my honest immediate reaction was? Um, your <laughs> honest and immediate reaction was quite possibly the kindest thing you have ever said to me ever. And I just got a message from Dave that said, I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't. Was, <laughs> was it, I was now like, hold on, was there any punctuation? Was there an emoji? Was there tonal kind of markers, you know? Cause no, like, not even, not even no, italics. It was just, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's rare for me to not do the italics thing, but it came from the heart, Alice, you know it did. I wouldn't have said it if I didn't mean it. I honestly, like I was, I was so ready to be grilled. So the fact that you just came back and was like, I don't hate it. I was like, I've won. Yeah, like this is nice. it. Yeah, yeah. He didn't come back with like, "What happened to your pink face?" Yeah, yeah. That was your jam. Like, do you have like synesthesia, Alice, or was it just an aesthetic choice? Do you know what I mean? You no, I'm have, not like, one Pharrell. of those people. No. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think those people make it up. I'm just putting it out. This there. is very yeah. offensive to people listening to the show who have synesthesia. By the way, I don't know why this is going in this direction. That, that's very very cruel, Craig. Well, it sounds like a superpower, so you know. <laughs> well, it's not really. It's 
don't yeah, know. look, I, I should clarify. I, them. I should clarify. Alice knows I'm a tough critic, and there's obviously that weird kind of you know zone where it's like, I know this person. I want to be brutally honest with them, and I really like the song. So sue me, Craig. What do you think of it? <laughs> if you hate it, you can say it. You know, this is a forum for truth. So I'm more of a kind of pink face guy. No, I really like it. <laughs> I love it. I love how kind of spacious it is. I love the vibe of it. Yeah. No, I'm a fan. I'm on board. Um, I knew, of course, uh, like. <laughs> We were going to get a classic Dave comment there as he prompted the, <laughs> what did I say? It was just like, he's always a few steps ahead. But yeah. Well, thanks very much. Alice, though, uh, back to you, because you're the one who released a single. <laughs> I've never, like, oh, well, I, I did release music back in the day, but no one listened to it. So it's fine. Um, I am curious, though, you mentioned, like, you know, guitar playing, singer, songwriter. That's kind of what you've done previously. I mean, is this kind of step something that you would be willing to commit to long term? And I guess what were your kind of specific musical influences coming into this new track? Yeah, so I always write on guitar. Um, it's just what I started on. It's kind of hard to let go of that. And then I think kind of from a production point of view, it's just purely exciting to have when you write a song on your own in your room and then someone all of a sudden, like literally someone could add a drum or a bass and I'm like, it's incredible. <laughs> it's Grammy worthy. Oh, my God. Um so I, but then I think like, I don't know, I always listen to pop music and like actually Choice Van was, was the reference that I had, um, for this song. Um, and I think maybe, I don't know, I think someone who, as someone who like gigs, I've done very few gigs with a band. I think I'm a little bit obsessed with having such a full sound compared to what I'm used to writing. Um, that that's kind of where that like, uh, like electro kind of synthy pop kind of comes in, um with the songs that I kind of end up producing. So, yeah, it's like when I was chatting to you about the kind of run up to it as well. I mean, like, I, I think it's like, I, 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 I was going to say I'm blue in the face with this, but that would be a really bad mm -hmm. pun based on the song. Uh, there is that thing about the Irish music scene being like, at it's you know, greatest it's ever fucking been. Like, you know, it's never been better than this. And like, I'm seeing the conversation kind of change now, but I'm seeing people kind of being like, well, if we say everything is great, well, then who knows what is. But I guess for someone like on, on the comeback, I suppose, kind of, join in, so to speak, with, with what is a very high quality raft of Irish artists and Irish music. Uh, how do you feel about plugging back into the Irish music scene in late 20, 2021, coming into 2022 and, and establishing a sound again? Um, I do think there's a lot of space, um, maybe more space than there was um, when I released Running Now. It's kind of one of those things where even though Running Now only came out two years ago, the internet has completely changed. Even just small mm. things like Instagram stories weren't a thing. And I know that sounds so stupid, but like my producer Alex would put blue on his story and then I get three followers from that. Or TikTok wasn't around and one of my TikToks has 25,000 views on it. Like, like again, even though COVID stopped gigs and I really like I wasn't gigging and gigging wasn't an income for me so I don't want to have too much of an opinion on this but the internet is an unbelievable thing when it comes to releasing music and when it comes to even the fact that like I mentioned this earlier that like I followed Alex for six years and never met him and was like I want you to produce my next song like I did not know this boy um and so like yes there's a lot more artists out there than maybe there was a few years ago but between like sure, I wasn't on the podcast a few years ago, you know, like there's a lot more blogs, there's a lot more podcasts, there's a lot more, to be honest, like not even like people who are um, interested in like writing about music, but like even the fact that like your friends all put you on their story the day it comes out. Like I know that's like such a small thing, but like getting tagged, I have some friends that like have a lot of followers and like 
just the power, the power you have <laughs> in putting me on your story and tagging me. Like one of our friends, Dave, one time I got 42 followers when she put me on her story. Good Lord. Like, um, like I don't think that like, yeah, I just think that obviously COVID and everything has burdened the music industry, but like the internet has been such a powerful force at this time. Yeah, absolutely. I guess before we move on to our album review, which Alice is here to help us with, much like she was before with Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo, our pop correspondent, I suppose. Um, I guess just on like, like like on a like maybe this is a really basic question, but like, how does it feel to have written and released something after this length of time? Like I said, I know you're busy with poetry, but like there must be a very different feeling between putting this out there after so long. I mean, like, mm. was there I mean, like, was there that kind of, you know, almost kind of terrified feeling or was it a complete release? How has it been? Um, it's been good. Like, it, 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 there was obviously a lot of pressure from no one <laughs> other than <laughs> myself. Um, and I think, I don't know if you've ever worked on something and I used to always get so self-conscious and like, kind of like, just get really tense when someone's like, when's the next song? And you'd be like, you wouldn't have anything. And you'd be like, you kind of have to do that thing where you're like, huh, yeah, yeah, I'm just just working on it. Like, you know what I mean? And like, I, I hate making excuses, but I, you know, I also work 45 hours a week and I also have to pay for this myself. And like, I've tried the grants, I've tried everything. And it's like, it's so funny to have a song that's three minutes and three seconds long, but to have to put nine months of work into it. And you know what I mean? Like, but then on the flip side of that, to have put nine months of work into something and to finally have it out in the world, it's like, to me, it's not a song anymore. <laughs> it's just these noises that I know I can hear everything. I can hear every little ting, every little drum, every little thing that happens in it. Um, so it is quite a relief to have it finally out in the world. And I think when it's quite a personal song and I kind of like hate when people say this, but you know, you're kind of like, I think everyone can relate to it. But like, <laughs> I think everyone can relate to it. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, well, look, the song is Blue. The artist is Alice Kieran. And I encourage everybody listening to go and check it out. But we will move now here, from here. Blue to Red. That's right. Hey. It's time to discuss a flame-haired troubadour. And he's got something. I don't know if you can say that, Dave. <laughs> what, flame-haired troubadour? I've been saying yeah. flame-haired troubadour since I was in hot since press. Since the early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> since Simply Red. Uh, no, essentially, you're right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not having a go with the guy. This, like, he's, he's got a, you know, he's, he, he's, he's, he's got a lion's mane of a haircut. Good for We've him. Tossle-haired scamp. Don't have a go at him. <laughs> we, we actually haven't even started. <laughs> this is the problem. But the man's name is Ed Sheeran, right? He's back with a brand new collection of music and some of that music sounds a bit like this I wanna be that guy I wanna kiss your eyes I wanna drink that smile I wanna feel like I like my soul's on fire I wanna stay up all day and all night yeah you got me singing like ooh I love it when you do it like that and when you're close up give me the shivers oh baby you wanna dance till the sunlight cracks when they see the party's over then we'll Yep, back with 14 songs so sugary, you'll want to book a trip to that dentist. It's Ed Sheeran. Craig, did this song send a shiver down your spine? And can you tell us a bit more about this young man? What does he want? He wants to create bops that will take over the world. And I think that's probably another one. And fair play to him. He's come a long way. Um, yeah, Ed Sheeran, he's a former couch surfing busker who now fills out stadiums. I think he overtook um, U2's record for like highest grossing tour of all time a few years ago. And it's just him with his battered acoustic and a loop pedal. 
And um, yeah, he's, he's one of our guys, you know, comes from a large Catholic family, grandparents from Ireland, uh, cousin of the immensely talented Laura Sheeran. So I'm not going to have a bad word said about him, right? He's also an MBE, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, um, oh, sorry, MBE. Let's just, yeah, let's just walk away so from this review off. right yeah, now. Yeah. He's been in the business since he was a teenager. I think he self-released his debut EP um, in around about 2005. It was a very DIY operation at the start. Lots of kind of EPs followed. And then he struck gold with songs like The A-Team and he's been a fixture on the charts for the past decade. Um, there's been three previous kind of symbols albums that have gone multi-platinum uh, plus Multiply and Divide. There was a mixtape collabs project that we reviewed on this show a couple of years ago. We didn't really love it, but it still debuted atop the UK and Billboard charts. And it had, you know, that great rock song, Blow, with Bruno Mars and Chris Stapleton. And it had Sound of the Border. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was I do. the most remarkable takeaway. When, that, was, uh, uh, that was a filthy song. declared, yeah, <laughs> that Ed had got a little jungle fever. Fuck. And we all tried to move on with our lives. And uh, yeah, two years on, we've, we've moved on from that fever dream and we're settling into... Cozy domestic bliss, I guess, with this one. My so favorite like genre, Greg. Man, yeah, yeah. Love it, yeah. <laughs> really I'm is. sorry. Can I just not like like the the opening track on this is a song yeah. called Tides, which, by the way, lays it all out. He, yeah. uh, I knew reviewing a Charlie Simpson solo album seven years ago would pay off. Charlie Simpson of busted fame because the song Tides here is a complete splice of two Charlie Simpson songs that I'm quite familiar with. One is called Parachutes. One is called Haunted. Charlie, get the lawyers on the phone. But the opening, and maybe Sam Fender, uh, very maybe Sam Fender. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get Bruce. to it. Uh, Bruce. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, he. Op- I think the opening track to this album is I have grown up. I am a father now. Great. Okay. Yeah. There's no. Very I'm matter of fact, <laughs> here's where we're at. <laughs> Last time on Ed Sheeran. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's talked about this being his like coming of age record. Uh, it's his most personal one. It means a lot to him. He's, you know, he's got married. He's had a, a daughter. And musically, I guess, it's quite accomplished. He knows what he's doing. He's co-producing. The usual kind of co-conspirators are back on board. So you Foy Vance um, chipping in on a track. Johnny McDade is all over this thing, um, kind of co-writing and producing as well. And then you've got some, you know, I think Kylie's on a track, Laurie Anderson. He just kind of brings in people as and when he wants them. Um, and yeah, I mean, business has been good. He's going to hit the road on his mathematics tour. He's talked about how it's going to be like five years long and then he's going to kind of step back and just tour on the holidays um, when his kid's in school. So he's like mapped it all out. And it sounds like an album where he's mapping it all out. This is kind of part of the business plan, I guess. Um, Before we dive fully into the (laughs) review... Uh, it's been going well for him. I mean, he's, he was named the UK's Artist of the Decade by the official charts company. Uh, he's, I think, he's the sec- second most streamed artist in the world after Drake. So I guess we'll turn to Alice. Alice is e, your, de- your Artist of the Decade. Is this his masterpiece? Are these leading questions? I guess, how'd you get on with Ed in general and how did you find this album? Yeah, so I went to the Plus Tour. I went to the Multiply Tour. Um, so I don't know if I'm like an Ed Sheeran fan, but I would have like been there. I'm not like from the start, obviously, but I mean, as a 15-year-old who sang and played guitar, like A-Team had a chokehold over me. Um, sure. <laughs> um, so like I was kind of saying today before we started, like obviously Divide was like oversaturated to a level even he has since said like it was ridiculous how much that album was everywhere um and I think even I was like I actually like I I remember listening to like you know like Star's music channel and like um what was the thinking out loud was just constantly on it was ridiculous um 
So I kind of like went into this one a bit like apprehensive, but to be honest with you, I'm finding it hard to hate it. I'm finding it hard to hate him. And like the main reason is Dave's going to going to be like, you're never coming on this podcast again. But the main reason <laughs> is he's so happy. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm really like struggling to be like, at least like I know like Dave, we discussed this where you'd be like, oh God, all he does is talk about drink, like sing about women and drinking and how he doesn't have a uni degree. And now he's like, happy and has a kid and I'm like really struggling to be like oh god damn you singing about how much you love your wife um so I mean and there is songs on it that um I I feel like he wrote 12 songs and he brought it to the label and they were like that's great go write two singles um and that was Bad Habits and Shivers um but there's definitely songs on it that like I really like um, and I was expecting a lot more of a sellout album, to be honest with you. Um, especially listening to Bad Habits and Shivers, I was like, oh God, this is going to be a complete sellout album. Um, which is fair. I think as someone who listens to pop music, I have almost accepted that your your singles are going to be, I wouldn't judge an artist from their singles, basically. If you're intrigued by an artist, don't, don't go from what's in the charts, go to their album. Um, but yeah, like a lot more impressed than I thought I would be. Okay, I'm just gonna just gonna take a moment here to uh, address a couple of character assassination quotes from from Alice. There, um, it's not that I'm a- against anyone being happy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, as a <laughs> as a as a confirmed miserableist, uh, you know the the concept of happiness continues to elude me. However, I I will say that um, it's more. I, I, I do think that artistically we've seen it. We've seen it with like Justin Timberlake, famously on Man of the Woods in particular, Justin Bieber, you know, married dad, you know, it's kind of like great, cool. This is whatever. But of course, guy still has the fucking right to write about it. How could he not? And I will say, um, I think over the course of the week, I listened to this thing 10 times. I think I, I, think I got through 10 listens of this. I really committed. Um, I don't hate it. much like my review of Alice single don't hate it Um, that is a compliment okay Ed Sheeran take it take it while you can exactly yeah Uh, (laughs) get him while he's in this mood Um, I don't hate it but I do think that the more I listen to it the more life kind of went out of it Um, I I actually think like like, it's funny because like Alice you you immediately kind of came at it from the almost a default position of I, I can't hate him, you know, and the Guardian's review this week, Craig's boy, Alexis Petretis, very similar. It was kind of like, you know, there is this inbuilt thing to hate the guy. And it's like, yeah. I, I, I've gotten that out of my system. Back in Hot Press 10 fucking years ago, um, I reviewed the first album. I gave it one out of five and I gave it a full on fresh out of college, trying to be cool, edgy as fuck review. They didn't run it. They gave it to another writer. They gave it two. Then they gave it to another writer who gave it three. And that's what ran. But the point is, even Craig... I never got it. I would have given it five. Even Craig, even Craig, and uh, uh, as our friendship was burgeoning at the time, Craig, even Craig kind of pulled me up on somebody. He, he was like, that was a bit too harsh, Dave. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I look back and now maybe it was. I reviewed a second album for Drowned in Sound and I gave it a critical kicking. I didn't go mad at it, whatever. But like, he's never been an artist that I've fully understood. Um... And I don't like I, I I I like yeah like what's to hate that like it's not it's not that but I and this didn't depress me in the way that the Coldplay one did two weeks ago but it's not too far off yeah. there is an element of like obviously yeah as Alice says there's trend chasing in the form of the singles Bad Habits was a song that I actually didn't even bother listening to until the album came around and then I found myself to my horror Craig and Alice I found myself being like kind of think this is a bit of a bop even though it's the <laughs> most like. I'm on holiday and I'm in the Eurodisco and it's just like plying from 90s like 
tracks that you've heard a million times. So it's very much like him trying that on for size and here's a single. I agree with you. It was definitely probably a mandate. Um, and also, it's funny because you mentioned this 14 tracks. Craig, I was very, very fond this week when I looked in the running order and I saw that there were only 11 tracks in the running order. I was like, Craig's left the last three tracks out. I was like, which, I, I, I wonder if that like indicates his level of tolerance for this. I do think that it's some of his... I, I left off Sandman, did I? Oh, well, well, we'll get, you, I'll, I'll, we'll let, get to I'll let you take that one in a second. But I will say, I think here and there on this record... I do think it's actually some some of his most accomplished work in a long time. I think it's a significantly more palatable album than Divide, for example, which, uh, as Alice points out, was just kind of <sighs> content. Do you remember there was that week in the Irish and the English charts where, like, when it came out, the first 16 tracks in the charts were the album? Because it was all, yeah. they pivoted mm. to, like, downloads count now and streaming yeah. counts now, and therefore the entire singles chart was Hedge Sheeran. So that was yeah. completely fucking insane. But as for this record... Um, I don't like the more I listen to it, the less I have any kind of real kind of interest in it. I think it's got like it's, it got a bit of a mauling in particular from Pitchfork, which was obviously a, a review that they had ready to go for months and months and months. And they really, really went to town on it. I kind of think those days are over when Eric Sheeran is concerned. I don't think there's much mileage or value in actually giving him a shoeing. Um, but at the same time, I actually went from thinking this album was actually kind of not bad. And then over the course of the 10 listens, I was like, yeah, it's just it's too it's just too kind of homogenous for me. Craig, how'd you get on? Maybe I've been beaten into submission. Oh, here we go. Um, I might, I might have, pu- I might have pulled you up for like uh, the kind of kicking you gave him um, in your written review years back. But on this podcast, we've certainly reviewed his stuff and give him, given him that mauling. I think I'm mellowing a bit. Um, same boat. Like coming off the back of the Coldplay mauling, um, maybe I couldn't muster the energy to hate this. Maybe it's like the post-holiday glow. Maybe it's the head cold medication <laughs> kind of making me loopy, but. Yeah, I didn't really hate this. Like, I saw the Pitchfork review as well, and like, just what was it, 3.6? I was thinking, what's the point of this? Is this the audience? You know, of course, Quinn Moreland's going to say it's a, you know, a set of trite observations. It is, but it's like pop music, it's chart music. The no encore audience likely isn't the Ed Sheeran audience. Um, we obviously both do huge figures, so there must be some crossover, of course. <laughs> but I was surprised by how much the same boat I didn't like abhor this as I have done my previous work. I think at times the stuff is quite gentle, reflective. Um, there isn't so much of the kind of spiky, bitter edge that no one seems to talk about, except like maybe us on this show, um, which we've like really taken umbrage with at times. And like there is kind of darker stuff going on with him, which doesn't really appear here. Maybe a bit in bad habits where, uh, you know, he's he's living a very interesting life. And I would probably like to hear a bit more unvarnished stuff about that. But we're not really going to get it. We're going to get the kind of hallmark stuff. And it's fine. Like I was, I was thinking of his like dominance at the moment chart wise. And I think I got, as I was listening to it, and it was pretty inoffensive, which I was surprised by, I got into this, like, real-time, present-day, like, nostalgia for him. Oh, wow. That makes sense. Of, like, he is our modern Phil Collins. <laughs> We're living through, do you know what I mean? In 30 years, he'll be doing, like, the kind of legend sets or whatever at Glastonbury. And we might just be like, you know what, that song wasn't so bad. And isn't he a lovely bloke? And, like, there'll be, of course, reappraisals of his work. People are like, oh, just because he was a bit populist doesn't mean he was that bad. I'm not there, but I think he you does sound a like good you're job. There. You sound like <laughs> I think you're he there. Does a good job, at, like encapsulating in a really, really vanilla way, like the sound of today. Like in the same way, those kind of big '80s artists had all those gated drums and stuff. He has the kind of he does have the compositional skills. He's got the ear for the hook. He can kind of pinch the sounds of now quite well. 
Um, so like there's a number of these tracks where it's just like, oh, you, you've just been listening to The weekend and all his hits and you're like, I will do one of those now. <laughs> and then there's other moments where much like the Coldplay record where, you know, anytime he gets into a bit of daring art pop is probably the wrong term, but you're just like, this is like gluten-free Bonnie Bear. Um, <laughs> and he, it, there's a nice kind of grab bag feel to it. He's like a one man kind of now compilation or something. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, but obviously a bit more mundane than that sounds. And I think, yeah, co- contrasting it to the Coldplay album where I was just like, Chris Martin at this point is like lyrically, particularly nothingness to the point of sounding almost deranged. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and chasing pop trends. And I think he's a, the slight generation ahead where he, like Ed Sheeran can integrate those trends a bit better and he's slightly more down to earth. And he actually, like, you feel like he listens to like modern hip hop. And he can get kind of colloquial and yeah, it's clunky and it's saccharine. And, but I, I'm finally understanding why there is an audience for it. And I won't go back to it, but if a song comes on the radio, I'm like, there's probably worse songs on the radio. Two Steps Good, Collide's fine. I thought The Closer, the closer right now, the clo- I was like, The Closer's good. good. The Closer's good. Yeah. The, yeah, The Closer was kind of like, where was that for the whole fucking record? Sandman, yeah, weird, which, Sandman, like, which is... Uh, thing going on. Sandman, yeah. Is Sandman, which is, um, I, here's my lullaby for my own child, and it's horrific. Um, With the plinky plonky. Gross. Yeah, just keep, just, keep, keep that, that to the bedroom. Uh, like, 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 just like, just don't even bring it to an, to an album. And then there's Visiting Hours, which I feel really bad about, because it's about a friend of his who died. And it's very, like, you know, I wish I, could, I wish heaven had visiting hours. Like, it's like, you can't, you can't go against that too hard because it's about his dead mate. And the last thing you want to do is be like, hey, man. But it does feel very first drafty. It does feel like you probably could have. And I'm sure, he, I'm sure it isn't a first draft. I'm sure he really poured everything into it. And I, I think because of the way he positions himself as like the everyman and all things to all listeners. And he can kind of flip between genres. When you do listen to like a really... I'm guessing that's very heartfelt and like the subject matter and it's like an awful situation and he really means it. But when you listen to the song aesthetically, you could easily then, you know, if you were being less generous, go, well, this is him like doing that kind of song that of course will be relatable to a whole, you know, host of people that have have, have lost people in their lives. You know, we all have. And it's just, you know, sonically and the way he goes about things, it's easy to be cynical, but I'm less so, I think, on this. I understand. I wonder if we're getting older. Alice is a lot younger than us, though, because she's youthful (laughs) and we're not. Uh, I want to ask, did you have, like, have have you had a similar kind of emotional reaction? And also, do you think, like, you know, we're kind of alluding to it there, like, has he grown as a songwriter with with regards to his choices? Because we were hammering on that last album about, particularly, like, he was saying some fucked up things about women. Mm. And, Mm. but is that gone now because he's married and has a daughter? Like, like, is that, is that, is that, is that good? Is that good enough? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that kind of okay? Yeah, I mean, I I wish I could listen to Ed Sheeran. Um, there's a few artists. I kind of feel like this would picture this as well. Like, I wish I could listen to Ed Sheeran for the first time without any influence, without anyone's opinion. Because I feel like, like exactly how I said earlier on, like I went into it being like, oh, it's going to be fucking everywhere. Like, and I feel like that's kind of unfair on him. The thing about Ed Sheeran is he didn't do anything. Like there's so many artists who deserve, or people who maybe deserve, not deserve hate, but should get maybe the (laughs) cancellation. But all he did was release an album and it was, you know, it, it just took over Spotify or like, people are angry that he played like five nights in Ireland. Like he didn't do anything. And people are just, people will be like raging at, how dare you, how dare you play gigs in Ireland? So I kind of wish I could like listen to him without, all of other people's opinions in my head. Um, 
And the other thing about him as well is that in the Pitchfork review, they were like, all he'll ever be is a wedding song uh, songwriter. And I'm like, yeah, like the biggest royalties you can ever get. And like, that's not a dig. That's yeah. not the dig that you think it is. To be associated with like the happiest day of someone's life yeah, as well, if you really break it down. Yeah, for someone to pick your song uh for their first dance, I think is a pretty big achievement. Um, mm. And I think just like, obviously I kind of went on about how there's definitely some songs there that are label driven. Um, but the, I actually found Visiting Hours and um, what was the other one? The Joker and the Queen. Like those were the two songs that I was like, I love a song when you're like, you're actively sitting there and like listening and waiting for the next line and listening to the next word. Like there's a obviously a few songs on the album that are like, I'm actually not even taking in the message. It's just like, and in a good way, I suppose, like I like Collide because it literally, it sounds good. Like it literally does sounds good. That is definitely why I one of like the better it. songs. Yeah, it sounds great. But I like, um, the Joker and the Queen because there's like a storyline to it and I like I do like Visiting Hours because there's a storyline to it and I'm waiting I'm not I'm not going to sit there and sing it in my spare time it's I will listen to it when something sad happens in my life and it's like that real kind of relatable this person gets me kind of song um but yeah what was the other part of your question I guess I was asking <laughs> I mean, like like maybe not a fair question I don't want to be like you know Alice you know as a woman but like I'm just curious like he has had bad form previously for you know like what was that song on the last album, Craig? It was like um, uh, was new boyfriend or something. Yeah, it was new man. Was that what called? Yeah. And it was, yeah. was, called? Yeah. And it was just new like, man, and it was like, yeah. very. And we we had Selena Murphy review the album with us at the time, and she was like, mm. she was like, Ed, this woman still deserves love. Like, what the fuck? So yeah. he's grown up. We've all grown up, but like. Is that all right? I guess I was asking, which isn't really a fair. I, I, this isn't like, you know, mm. judge jury corner, but like yeah. he's, he's been guilty of some infractions before, I think. Yeah. To be honest with you, Dave, um, you're the first person who brought that up to me and you were the person that made me listen to that song again and be like, oh, oh, yeah. Um, so to be honest with you, I don't think people have realized that yet. And that's that's just it. Do you know, um, I think maybe he will be able to. Uh, paint the new a new lifestyle image um, with with the album that he has now, and I I think he's in a he's in a very privileged situation that not an awful lot of artists have, where he can release an album and disappear for five years, and not an awful lot of people can do that. Um, so if he can absolutely reinvent himself um, with a new album each time, um, then he's probably people are probably going to forget that. Yeah, it's a fair point. Craig? I, I will just say, yeah, no, just on that point, the more I think about it, I'm like, you know, and Alice, you made that point of like, he just released an album and he does come from, he's quite the craftsman, like he's clearly into music and he studied his pop history. And I wonder if, you know, by all accounts, lovely bloke in person and, you know, all that kind of thing. When he writes those kind of songs, is that him in his songwriter bag as someone that's absorbed so much pop music and pop music throughout history has had a lot of those songs that are just like the revenge song Mm -hmm. or the like, you don't deserve, you know, such and such song. I wonder, was he just leaning on tropes that he's recycling from busking days and all that kind of stuff? And maybe there is an evolution of thought. But yeah, hopefully it's just a kind of creative change. And yeah. Yeah. And then, but you see that again then with his singles is that there's definitely an element of knowing what works. Yeah. So, like, you could be dead right. So, yeah. I mean, for me, right, this is like, this is probably like the best version of Ed Sheeran, but I don't know, I don't know what that means. And I don't know like how palatable it is. I'm certainly not going to, um, you know, go back to this too much. But, you know, I, I didn't, 
I was kind of mystified by some of the more aggressive reviews I saw. It did feel like the Dave of 10 years ago. And the Dave of 10 years later isn't quite ready to settle down with Ed Sheeran, but I, I'd go for a pint with him. I'm going to give this a five. Alice, what's your score if you, if you, if you have one to hand? I'm going to give a 6.5. Okay. Nice. And Craig. I'm going to go five. Yeah, right in the middle. But it's like a kind of, it's a warm five. Um, I won't be returning to this. I won't be turning on certain songs when I feel sad. Um, it's not quite a guilty pleasure. I don't really believe guilty pleasures exist anyway, but yeah, it doesn't really give me a huge amount of pleasure. But also it wasn't the expected chore and I no longer take pleasure in giving him a shoeing. So yeah, five. Well done, Ed. Keep yeah, it up. I think um, I think we've all learned a valuable lesson this week. And, <laughs> and one of those lessons is, of course, for everyone listening to go and stream Blue by Alice Kiernan, our amazing <laughs> guest, who we will, of course, welcome back on again. Alice, thank you so much for coming in to chat to us today. Coming in, it's fucking zoom uh, for appearing uh, in in digital form it's, it's great to see you thank you thanks once again to alice and thanks again to ed sheeran for helping us have a new perspective on pop music but what will our perspective be about music that's i guess a bit misunderstood craig you had a, a lot of options this week for the top five we almost did first dance at your wedding songs which you might still do but much like the driving yeah, it's an interesting much like one. top five driving it should be underlined that neither of us are married and who'd have us? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, thanks a lot, mate. Uh, I, I think just we're, trying to, we're both catches. Just trying to, you know, impart my own melancholy and, you know, make it a make it a unified event. What am I saying? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, um, misunderstood. Yeah, we ended up with this one. Um, top five misunderstood songs. We kind of did go around the houses a bit because, or maybe I did. Um, let me see if I can follow the tread. So we had the wedding songs one, um, which is a genre Big Ed kind of excels in. And we're contemplating maybe best and worst. And it kind of put me in mind of a, you know, a wedding song that might not be appropriate. And we kind of took her from there. Um, so these are, I guess, songs that are not what they seem to most people. Um, I imagine we'll be chiefly leaning into the lyrical content here. And I guess they'll probably be kind of intrinsically like popular, um, relatively popular songs. Songs with a level of renown that like a whole host of people are taking the wrong way. So yeah, misunderstood, kind of misappropriated ambiguous or you know maybe drenched in so much irony and satire that the kind of quote-unquote wrong audience love it um one I, I don't think either of us will pick but i guess anecdotally i always think of that david cameron thing um where he was on desert island discs and he talked about loving eating rifles which is like a very much an anti-public school you know bullingdon club pig shaggery song <laughs> from paul weller and he's like well, what like oh, how did he how does he love that song it's just like it's about how much i load him and his people um so we're in that kind of territory i guess misunderstood songs yeah cool. it should be an interesting yeah one. i think so why don't you just kick it off take it away okay all right my number five is a chance for me to embarrass um my cousin and an avid listener so here we go stomatic <laughs> camera and pull my sleeves around my heart Because you're gorgeous I'd do anything for you Because you're gorgeous I know you'll get me through You said my clothes were sexy You tore away my shirt 
That was Baby Bird with your gorgeous from 1996. Uh, Baby Bird being musical project um, of Stephen Jones, guy from Sheffield, who'd only, I think, started releasing music around 1995 and putting out demos. And then this was his second single and a bit of a one hit wonder, I guess, was huge at the time. I remember as a kid it being everywhere to the extent that to get onto my cousin, um, shout out to Caleb, who had just been born. And this isn't really embarrassing for him. This is kind of embarrassing for family in general this song was everywhere and somehow the chorus and isolation to this which is quite pleasant and soaring became like this like family anthem for this newborn baby Caleb like his mom would always sing it to him and it kind of caught on and listen gorgeous baby he's still a, a gorgeous human being um, but clearly no one was listening to the verses which are about um, a dodgy photographer taking advantage of uh, a young model and it just like Online, this was popping up and people were saying, you know, it's it's one of those like offensive songs that everyone seems to be fine with for some reason. I do remember as like a kind of small kid, this being everywhere, like kids parties. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, like knowing there was like some sleaze in there, but not being quite sure what it was about. But it was like the 90s, man, right said Fred, Bookaroo, um, <laughs> Jarvis Cocker doing songs about like hiding in wardrobes and I don't know, Karis Matthews showing her Nick is a Tom Jones or something like that but yeah there was a lot of these kind of songs that were like on the line and a bit playful I don't think this is an offensive song because it's clearly like it's clearly quite a dark like cautionary tale thing that is like talking down this despicable behaviour and yeah it it finally makes sense when you realise that the narrator the person singing is the model in question and um like the last verse is, you said it wasn't cheap, you paid me £20, you promised to put me in a magazine on every table in every lounge. It's a really kind of clever song. I love the imagery in it. Um, it's about just a dastardly human being. Like there's that lyric about like an Instamatic camera that he's using. It's like he's not even using a proper camera. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's very dark. And people were just like, this is a, you know, sunshine pop song. What a chorus. And what a chorus in fairness. Yeah, no, great chorus. Uh, and you're right. It was absolutely fucking everywhere. Um, is this the, if you're too shy, let let me know of 1996. Oh, interesting, because you're doing that kind of, yeah, switching up the narrator, yeah, and people just reading different things into it. I guess so. It's weird, isn't it, sometimes when you get a different perspective in a lyric, because we're so programmed to just assume that it's the singer's own thoughts. Yeah, Um, yeah. And certainly when there's a level of ambiguity, like, it reminds me a lot of... um, do you remember the song probably from around about the same time Your Woman by Whitetown which was another one hit wonder which was just I remember at the time it being a bit confusing because it was a guy singing about never being your woman it was quite progressive it was really interesting but as a kid I was like there's something in- interesting and I don't quite understand what's going on here but I like it is that the one yeah I guess it's in that is that the category. one that goes um, me I could never be out. That song fucking rules. Yeah, that's a great song. Such a good song. Very obvious time as well. Okay, right. For my number five in the misunderstood songs, I actually referenced uh, the Seinfeld finale earlier on in the show. Yeah. And uh, this song was part of it. So let's have a listen. And still friends in your mind. Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time. Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life 
But yeah, we really are going back to that kind of mid-90s period. This is Green Day and the song, Good Riddance, open brackets, Time of Your Life, close brackets. Um, I loved this song as a teenager. I hate it now. Not because of the interpretation of it. I just think it's cloying and annoying. But at the time, I thought it was the truth, Craig. And um, <laughs> this was used in the, like, there was a two-part Seinfeld finale. I loved Seinfeld when I was a teenager. Remember, my brother was in Australia. And he sent back like a VHS tape of the finale because that was the only way to watch it. It hadn't aired on Sky or whatever the fuck was going on at the time. And the first half of the Seinfeld finale was a clip show. And they had like a big montage of, you know, all kinds of outtakes and nice moments between the cast and stuff. And this song plays over it. And I associate it with that for sure. But I guess much like Seinfeld, um, well, Seinfeld hit globally, but like... I think this song and its kind of pop culture phenomena for a lot of people is a very American thing. As far as I'm aware, it, yeah. it, it has pride of place at like graduation ceremonies and funerals and yada, yada, yada. But of course, it's actually about a breakup and quite a bitter one. According to Billy Joe Armstrong, uh, he was going out with someone at the time who was moving to Ecuador, of all places. Um, he said... In <laughs> that sounds extremely made up, doesn't it? It's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend moved to Ecuador. He can't <laughs> <He's>, meet her. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, he's got like a book in front of me. She's from a... He's like, scans down a list of uh, Ecuador. <laughs> yeah, Ecuador. Um, in the song, I tried to be level-headed about her leaving, even though I was completely pissed off. So I named it Good Riddance just to express my anger. Um, not the first time, not the last, I'm sure, that there is a song of, you know, born out of a twisted, bitter sentiment that people, in fact, take to be this kind of life-giving thing. Uh, what do you think of this song? I it's, it, I guess all the kind of cultural context of it makes it very cloying. I think it's well put together. Like, I can admire it as if it's like looking at, like, you know, a sturdy cabinet or chest of drawers. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he did a good job, like, just put piecing that together. It does nothing for me. You mentioned graduations. This was one of my secondary school graduations. You're songs. joking. It's played at ceremony. Can you guess the other one? What, like, what do you think would be a, such a cliche? I feel like... you got this. Uh, you've got, like... Well, I don't necessarily want to say it because I think it could very well be an upcoming choice of mine so I'm going to withhold my guess you can just tell me oh, okay. and I won't react it was don't look back in anger no it wasn't and, that it um, wasn't that what I, <laughs> what I remember of it was I think this was played I was um, of course head boy of course <laughs> fucking skill yeah. and, you were the uh, uh, so I had to do sorry, a speech you, thing which you were was, the, the yeah. David Cameron equivalent of leak slip <laughs> yeah Paul Weller would have hated me <laughs> <laughs> I walked on to Eaton Rifles <laughs> <laughs> what a tune guys. I didn't even go to a posh school they just were like we were gonna have a head boy so and then I was like forced into it but anyway you meant to have to do a stupid speech I think this played before the speech so I remember being nervous and being like this fucking song what a stupid choice this is <laughs> and then after I finished I think they played Don't Look Back in Anger and I was relieved so I was like yeah Thanks, Noli, or whatever. I will, so I still can listen to that I, one. Yeah, I didn't go. I didn't go to my my, my grad in school or in college because I just wasn't really into it. Um, but my good call. My orientation in DCU, uh, they played "Beautiful Day," and I remember um, whoever the <laughs> fucking guy was he came on. He went, "It's love that," and he went, "It's fitting that we play that song because, in fact, yes, today is a beautiful day." <laughs> like Incredible. great stuff. Excellent. All right, you're up. Okay, let's go from embarrassing my cousin to embarrassing Philip Schofield. Take it away. What a Yeah. 
Steve Harley and a Cockney Rebel. Um, make me smile, brackets, come up and see me. One of the great uses of brackets there as well, um, which is probably another top, top five we should do at some point. But yeah, um, someone on Twitter pointed out that Philip Schofield had been on the radio recently enthusing about what a happy song this was. A positive song with positive lyrics, declared <laughs> Philip. And actually, in fairness to Schofield, I was maybe right there with him for a long time. Like, I had this vague notion of what this was about. Um, song from 1975, of course, it's been everywhere. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we get, like, a piano-led slow version on a John Lewis ad. It's, like, very much in that bracket. But I always liked it. And I assumed it was about, like, uh, you know... The subject was this free spirit kind of infuriating but doing things their way and you'll always kind of forgive them. But actually this was a song about glam rocker Steve Harley from Deptford and the breakup of Mark One of Cockney Rebel. Um, his bandmates approached him and he kind of maintains that he had most of their big hits written and like all of the stuff that kind of made their name was down to him. And they said, listen, we think we can write songs and uh, we want to get in on this action. And he said, you're not getting in on this action. Um, (laughs) So if that's the way it's going to be, you can leave, essentially. It's a weird one because he he still seems in like interviews... um, like, there's a lot of schadenfreude because he, he talks about how then, like, they left except for the drummer, I think, because the drummer had a family and he's like, I'm just going to hang around. He wrote this song about, like, come up and see him. He was actually about, like, come back one day, lads, and I'll laugh. <laughs> this was like him. Like, he's admitted, it's like, I was that arrogant, but I knew they were wrong. They didn't understand the group like I did. And then you listen to the lyrics like, you know, you spoiled the game no matter what you say. For only metal, what a bore. He maintains it was just them looking for money. He wrote this song. He talks about how it was probably written at like four in the morning after a bottle of brandy, feeling sorry for myself. And sure enough, it, you know, it went humongous. It was, I think, a number one. It was originally like a, a slow blues song, but Alan Parsons was the producer. And he kind of said, okay, let's switch it up. He, he made it kind of this Bowie glam thing, which is kind of weird and interesting and I think really works. And he, Alan Parsons, Great producer, engineer on Beatles stuff. Dark Side of the Moon can take a lot of credit for that. But he talks about how he didn't realise what the song was about either. He assumed it was a reference to Mae West's like, come up and see me sometime catchphrase, which I guess is probably the cultural reference at the time that people assumed it was. And again, another cheery song, great ingredients, catchy chorus, got that kind of movie star dialogue, good vocal, I think. And yeah, it's about this bitter guy being like, I'm going to make it without you guys. And... Interestingly, like reading about this song and like how we made it articles in The Guardian below the line where you should never go. (laughs) There's clearly people that are like now in their 70s and like knew the kind of band members and stuff. And there's all this squabbling from like a few years ago of people being like, I wonder whether his twattishness might have died down a bit with age. Apparently not. (laughs) And then people being like, he had comments where like he talks about, I actually, you know, became friends with the bass player afterwards and he always regretted it. And people just going, he never spoke to that man again. And he certainly didn't care about (laughs) Cockney Rebel. And I'm just like there's a whole little thing going on below the line so seek that article I love it's like I, yeah, how it was made but, thing but so good it's funny because you said never go below, below the line but sometimes in the Guardian sometimes you have sometimes, to yeah. sometimes the Guardian do go below the line there because it is this kind of thing it's not just yes. wild misspellings and anti-vax insanity it's like bizarrely detailed British bitter twisted stories of yore resurfacing at, at an age where people should be like should know better but apparently hold on to For grudges sure. yeah. okay yeah, great job Choice and a great song. Number four for me. I think we played this song once on the show in the show's history. Let's have it for a second time. And everybody have an up on. Until the fellas start the name calling. 
Is this the song you assumed was played at my graduation day? <laughs> no, I wish it was, though. <laughs> no, that's, so that's next up for me. Uh, but this is Bahaman, Bahamen, uh, with Who Let The... Get it right. <laughs> it's such an esteemed act. <laughs> it's Who Let The Dogs Out. But in fairness, I think for a lot of people, myself included, there was that day one day when someone was like, you know that Bahamen is a play on Bahaman. And I was like, you're... You're blowing my fucking mind. I didn't realize that either. See, there you go. Adam also says, sorry, Pat Kenny. He was, uh, uh, if Pat Kenny was into something, he'd be like, and that's uh, Bahamon with uh, Who Let the Dogs Out. No, I I can't do him on the spot now. I'll figure it out sometime. I'll get it. I can do the Ryan Toberty though. But anyway, look, it's it's, it's the Bahamon and it's Who Let the Dogs Out. So I'm going to read from the opening line of this thing here because like, you know, I did my research and a lot of the same songs crop up. This was one of them, but I had to have it. So I have it, and the opening of this section that someone else wrote is, like, so ridiculous. As much as we love our four-legged friends, this Caribbean classic is not about canines. That's correct, Craig, it isn't. In fact, after eight years of research, a Daily Beast writer called Ben Sisto um, got to... I'm sorry, no, someone made a documentary about it. There's an actual documentary about this, but there's an article in Daily Beast which, like, gets into the real meaning of the song. So a a Trinidadian artist uh, called Anne Slem Douglas wrote the song, originally titled Doggy, but famously known as the dogs out thanks to this cover. It's actually a cover. Uh, a rallying cry against catcalling. It's actually a feminist anthem. And you hear it there. Oh, you hear it there in the lyrics where it's like, the party was yeah. nice, the party was pumping, everyone having a ball until the fellas started name calling. And the girls responded to the call. I heard a woman shout out, who let the dogs out? So, in fact, it's not just a party anthem. It's actually... Um, a clarion call for for caution and a societal lament that we can't all just, you know, we have to, this base primal part of ourselves, Craig, as men, unfortunately, rears his ugly head in a way that is likened to the humble dog. So I don't know. I mean, dogs are cool, though. So it's a weird, you know, it's cat calling. There's kind of some mixed metaphors going on. What do you think? There is. There's a lot of mixed metaphors. I love that. I love that that's the subject matter. And yeah, it's it's perfect for this list because... How much has that chorus been used where it's like a bunch of blokes out in the town are like, here come the dogs, they're the dogs. But yeah, so it's just like, you know, that, that makes me really like that. Well, actually, no, it doesn't make me really like that song. It's it's just kind of musically insipid, but fair play. A great message. And I'm going to stay bitter, I think, with my next choice. Let's do it. one goes out to the one I love. This one goes out to the one I've left behind A simple prop to occupy my time This one goes out to the one I love Greatest American band of all time or Scratch it off Scratch it off your bingo card, everybody Scratch it off <laughs> Um, from 1987 it was their first big hit and it's you know often being called the most misunderstood uh, song or single of all time had to go in there for sure it's a really interesting one because this is of the you know ilk of the kind of genre of songs where 
um, couples seem to love it, or at least years back they did. It would be a wedding song. I saw someone mention online, and I didn't get verification of this, that Peter Buck used this at his wedding. And I'm like, do you not know what the lyrics are about? Because it's a song that Michael Stipe dislikes immensely because of how incredibly violent it is, he says. And if you just kind of listen to anything beyond the opening words and, you know, the kind of the riff, you'll get it. Um, A simple prop to occupy my time um, is what he thinks of this love and the kind of repetition of fire. He's talked about how it's very clear that this is a song about using people over and over again. Uh, Speaking in 1987 to Rolling Stone, Stipe said, I've always left myself pretty open to interpretation. It's probably better that people just think it's a love song at this point. However, he's since kind of gone on to say that it's, you know, a really brutal song um, in terms of its kind of emotional impact or maybe lack thereof from the narrator. It's real violent and awful. It wasn't directed at any one person. I would never, ever write a song like that. Uh, even if there was one person in the world thinking this song is about me, I could never sing it or put it out. It's an interesting one, right? Because, like, that's that seems like a lot of hyperbole considering it's quite economical in terms of its lyrics like there's very few lines or words in it and just kind of simple twists and I always thought I I can't remember who it was and I couldn't really find it online but it was someone like a Trent Reznor I don't think it was Trent Reznor or a Henry Rollins or a Nick Cave who'd said that I would never be so callous as to write this song. It's devastating. And my thing was always like, what? Like, what am I missing here? It's really simple. And like, he's calling love like a simple prop. But I guess that's kind of the OREM thing where it's the ambiguity and just how kind of murky it is. And there's theories online, which I I hadn't heard before, which I love, where people are putting it in the same category as like a First We Take Manhattan thing, where it's about like some brutal dictator that's like, letting off nuclear bombs (laughs) it's like that's what the fire thing is and I don't know if I quite go along with that but it does always strike me how much Michael Stipe dislikes who he was in these lyrics and yeah the the huge irony being this was one of the first songs where his lyrics were totally clear uh the cleaned up production from Scott Lit and their first big hit that kind of has a chorus but like a one-word chorus it's weird it's OREM and it was great that they kind of got massive off the back of these kind of songs. Greatest American band, you say, Craig. Well, what about the greatest American bar band song of all time? Maybe, possibly? I don't know. Here it is. This is the one that I thought might have played at your graduation. I guess it didn't, but here it is. know who i want to take me home craig and it's semi-sonic semi-sonic i don't know uh closing time is the track and this was another biggie for me in the 90s this is another one that my brother yeah. kind of passed on to me and you know i think again he came home from america and this was like a big song over there at the time and yeah i loved it for a while i thought it was the fucking greatest song of all time now i think it's just kind of nothing <laughs> it's just it's just kind of really lightweight and cheesy as fuck um 
uh, there's a temptation for me with these songs, by the way, to just like completely deceive the listener and be like, well, this people think this song is about getting kicked out of a bar on a big night out with your mates and you got to find somewhere else to go. And, you know, the street lights and the whole mayhem and then turn around and be like, yeah. no, it's actually by the time that this front man murdered somebody. It's not, though. There's no murder, sadly. <laughs> sadly, I don't know. Maybe the person had it coming. But the point is, the singer of this band is a guy called Dan Wilson. And it's not about that. It's not about getting thrown out of a bar with your mates. It's about his daughter, about the birth of his daughter, who was born prematurely, um, safely and soundly, I, I believe. But uh, he has done some interviews and stuff. And one of them was at his college reunion at Harvard. Uh, well-educated man in 2008. Yeah. Uh, he told the crowd, I hit it so well in plain view that millions and millions of people heard the song and didn't get it. They think it's about being bounced from a bar, but it's about being bounced from the womb. So it's about, you know... Amazing. kick out time in the womb apparently which is quite tender and sweet and lovely for them <laughs> but is this a good song or is this an example of one of those songs that just you know becomes a massive radio hit and i remember listening to the album off the back of this one i think it was called feeling strangely fine and it was garbage <laughs> it wasn't good so and then sorry it earns kind of points for nostalgia for me but yeah I don't love it yeah the other thing I was going to say was I remember like one other hit they had her semi hit and it was oops semi and it was like um, I think it was called All About Chemistry and it was just like these guys are kind of the proto okay go for me you know just kind of really tepid nothingness but Closing Time was a banger when I was a teenager so there you go yeah a tepid nothingness but still Kalosh to Kiron, my school was too basic to pick this. <laughs> this would have been like some cool US school, I guess. All right, my number two is um, a song that might have gotten people killed. I don't think it did, but um, it's about an amusement park ride. <laughs> Do you, don't you want me to make it? and the Beatles, very basic. Yeah. <laughs> you can take the boy out of Kalash to Kira. Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter. Yeah, it's um, Paul McCartney, one of the nicest guys in rock, um, possibly responsible for the Manson killings. Uh, I don't think so whatsoever. But of course, there's a huge kind of mythology around this song and the album, the White Album, released in 1968. And for years, Charles Manson maintained that that was like, almost became his manifesto. It was his reason behind these you know, ridiculous um, actions of his and, you know, the murders that were carried out. And um, I don't know, Dave, have we talked about Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, which is like all about like this, how the CIA might have been involved in the Manson thing and it's like really well researched. It's an amazing book. Um, I don't really believe any of these theories anymore. It does seem like he was very much used as a person um, and put in kind of positions and was a dodgy bloke. But yeah, all of the kind of... The coded messaging apparently around this is crazy. It's it's ludicrous to think that Char Charlie Manson um, acted out because he had listened to the White Album and decided that the Beatles knew that there was a, a race war coming to America and they'd encoded these messages and Helter Skelter was like a vision of the apocalypse and... Yeah, he said, you know, the family would talk about how he's like, these Hepcats really know what's going on. And he'd like try to send letters to them and the Beatles did not respond. And, um, you know, songs like Piggies on uh, the White Album, you know, that kind of 
that those words and that terminology was used at the crime scenes and it's just it's kind of horrific it's particularly when you consider it's Paul McCartney trying to do kind of proper like heavy rock song because he'd heard the who's I can see for miles he's like we could do that we can really rock out man so he used the symbol of this like kids fun fair ride <laughs> to be like crazy and of course Charles Manson not being English didn't know the reference so that must have been a weird position for them to be in. And of course, they've like spent decades distancing themselves from it. There was a, You'd have a to, really yeah, great John, yeah, John Lennon quote where he said, around about 1980, all that Manson stuff was built around George's song about pigs and Paul's song about an English fairground. <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with anything, at least of all to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. And then the article, I love that, just distancing themselves. It's just like, not my problem, man. Then the article Michi says, the truth is Manson also parsed Lennon's two revolution songs and it goes into how actually Manson was a big fan of like revolution and that kind of line where Lennon goes, you can count me in and then the other kind of speaker he says, out and it's like this mixed thing where Lennon being like I didn't want to get in trouble is like not being right on so I just kind of put in both and Manson was just like okay, that's the signal, that's the signal to kick it all off. Just an absolute mess but I guess it highlights what a huge cultural force Probably the likes of which we'll never see again, the Beatles were. That's just like you get to this levels of absolute craziness. And of course, you get, you know, Mark Chapman reading too much into To Kill a Mockingbird. And that's how John Lennon meets his end. But yeah, had to include this just because, I mean, as misunderstandings go, Dave, you'll agree. It's a pretty bad one. It's a pretty bad one. It's a pretty big one. It's a pretty horrendous one. And... Why do you think I'm such a Beatles sceptic, Craig? I was so scared that they would warp my brain. But my brain was, in fact, warped when I was a teenager by a band that I'm, you know, you look back and you're like, yeah, that was a bit of a miss, wasn't it? I, I've, I've previously detailed this and detailed that uh, sentiment, but nonetheless, I bring them back yet again. Yeah, it's the man with the most natural voice in the business there. That's Scott Stapp of Creed. And the song is called Higher. Uh, massive hit. The lead single off their second album, which was called uh, Human Clay. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. I, I had it. Of course I did. I had three Creed albums. I thought they were class. I was a fucking idiot. Um, I thought you were going to say three copies of Human Clay. <laughs> yeah, a signed copy and an open copy and a second hand copy. Um, so yeah, they're a Christian rock band, as it turns out, uh, which was lost mm. on me, by the way, for a while. Not that I would have necessarily been like, what, get this away from me, but I'm not a religious person really. So, um, but you know, hire, you know, take us to another place, golden, whatever. Everyone's like, well, it's about God, right? It's about going to heaven. It's about, you know, the higher path, divinity. Uh, apparently it isn't. Uh, apparently it's about lucid dreaming. Uh, in 2000, Scott Stapp told Spin Magazine, that he was having a recurring nightmare and delved into the practice of lucid dreaming to rid himself of it. I don't know how you delve into the practice of lucid dreaming. I thought it just happens to you, but apparently not. Yeah, apparently there's techniques. Um, someone fell down an internet rabbit hole one night um, <laughs> where you can you can do certain things or it's just like 
you know, sometimes you realize you're in a dream. There's certain like if you if you do certain things in the dream or if you repeat certain phrases, you then fully realize it and can start controlling what happens. I've never tried it because who has time even, you know, whilst unconscious. Well, Scott Stapp. People do try. Scott Stapp has. And in fact, you're like, you're reading his mind. Uh, He said, you're physically asleep, but you're awake in your mind. He read a book about Hindu monks who perfected the technique and thought it might help him squelch that recurring nightmare. Uh, The nightmare has him running down a highway closely pursued by a man with a gun. He turns left and hides behind a pillar beneath an overpass, but gets shot anyway. Stapp says that once he learned how to lose a dream, he was able to alter the nightmare. So he turned right and escaped. Basically, Inception. This man wrote the film Inception. Alter the nightmare, by the way, totally had to be an album title. Yeah, 100%. Slayer. Alter the nightmare. Um, so he said, um, I'm definitely in a better place now. Uh, I still have my old demons because my philosophies on life are much different from how I was raised, yada, yada. That was a long time ago. He's always been through a lot more troubles. Um, but yeah, the ability to lose a dream, commanded by Scott Stapp of Creed. Um, also... It's a bit of a banger, I'm sorry. It's a bit of a banger. I don't know, I don't know if I love it as much as, say, Franz Ferdinand's Lucid Dreams, where, you know, that's much more, you know, straightforward. Um, but let's keep it mind-altering for my number one. I had to get in a kind of, is this a love song or is this a drug song? And here it is. Feed animals in the zoo Then later a movie too And then home Yeah, well, this is definitely a song that uh, Teenage Dave misunderstood for sure because when that star-studded charity version came out... Uh, oh, we're going to talk about uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I bought that on compact disc for my mother at Christmas because that was a big, like, oh, this is what a beautiful song with all these beautiful people saying beautiful things. Yeah, yeah, and it was huge in Ireland. Uh, I remember playing it quite a lot as a kid as well. And then eventually I grew up and I bought Transformer and it was Lou Reed doing Perfect Day, the original. And yeah, I guess the other association for most of the world is um, train spotting and its usage there where it's um, combined with an OD. And yeah, it's got gotten to a point now where I guess most people know or think they know that this song is about Lou Reed's uh, heroin addiction at the time and he's singing about the drug and how it kind of keeps him hanging on and then you've got the reap what you sow stuff. It's an interesting one though because uh, the late Lou Reed said in an interview in 2000 um, that it wasn't about drugs and that the interpretation was laughable. And this is Lou Reed, so I don't know. And, you know, he's probably changed his mind quite a bit over the years and was probably trying to be provocative in a totally different way. But he said, no, you're talking to the writer, the person who wrote it. No, that's not true. That song is about heroin use. I don't object to that particularly. Whatever you think is perfect. But this guy's vision of a perfect day was the girl, sangria in the park, and then you go home. A perfect day? Real simple. I meant just what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta take him on his word, I guess. But I think that's an interesting one because there's a bunch of those songs in that genre. Laz, there she goes. Um, little girl, another planet. Where they've they've also the writers have come out like years later and said, you know, actually it's not about drugs. I was just, you know, it was a kind of love song, um, which is it's just funny how that flips. And I wonder is that just the people getting older and maybe realizing what they were they were trying to be edgy when they wrote it, but subconsciously it 
Maybe they're all love songs, Dave. I don't know. But let's talk about the charity version. Yeah, what do you think about that one? Because I've got a little clip. I've pulled together a little clip of... Um, see if you can spot who some of the voices are, maybe, all right. uh, as we go through. You won't get all of them, but some will really stand out. Here you go. Oh, it's such a perfect day. How many have you got? You won't get so them all. I think, there was, just I think there was like there. 11 in there. Was there about 11 people? I'm going to try and remember. Probably, So yeah. I, I, I know the ones I know and I don't know the ones I don't know. Um, and I'm flashing back to that time. I remember the fucking video. Uh, Boys on are in there. Ronan Keaton is in there. Yes. Uh, Bono is in there. In a bin bag. Yeah, 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 they're wearing bin bags. Bono is in there. Yeah. Pavarotti. It's not Pavarotti, Fuck. but a good show. <laughs> particularly, with, particularly with the Bono connection, but it was Thomas Allen oh, who I don't okay, know. Okay, no, damn it. Yeah, they had a couple of operatic um, singers. Shane McGowan's in there. Yes. Ian Brody of the Lightning Seeds is in there. Yeah, very distinct. Gabrielle? Yes, that's my favourite line. What a delivery. <laughs> I'm glad I spent with it you. with you. And I so don't good. think I'm going to get the rest of them. Um, go on. You probably won't. Huey Morgan's in there. I thought he was. Very I, thought, I thought it yeah, was him. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. But it's also, you need the visuals as yeah. well, because he's there like in shades doing this cool guy thing. It's just such a mishmash of people. I love that it was a number one. It's such an odd choice. You have Bono doing like cool Bono and like clearly being like, I know what this song's about. I'm I'm friends with Lou. Lou Reed's in it as yeah, well. No. He, he, he opens and closes, it, I think. Who else was in that clip though? There, there's an opera singer. There's a root singer. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Robert Cray, we heard there as well. Um, Evan Dando oh, from yeah. the Lemmingheads. Tur- Le- Lemmingheads. Lemmingheads turns up for like five seconds and does like a Jesus pose, but like a GQ Photoshop Jesus pose and does it really well. Bowie turns up, I think maybe twice. He's got like a feather earring and he just like disappears into the white background at one point. <laughs> Elton John has maybe the longest bit apart from Lou Reed where he just Elton Johns it up. And yeah. Um, Do you like the cover? Or Chiba, maybe? No. <laughs> I think it's really... <laughs> it was for charity, wasn't I like it? That was it for, was for like children yeah. in need yeah, or something? I like that it exists. It probably, oh God, yeah, it probably was. Um, so I'm glad, I'm 100% glad it exists. I do like it, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to... I just think I... Apart from I, just think like I, segments, I just yeah. think I remember on that CD single I bought, I think there was like a fucking cartoon pudsy on it as well. So I think it might have been yeah, Children probably. in Need or something. <laughs> right, okay, let's move on to my number one. Um, it could only be one thing. I mean, like, it's an obvious choice. It has featured in a top five before, but Craig wasn't on that top five, So and it was about a year ago. So I figure it's okay to bring it back. But also, I'm delighted to do this. I'm delighted to do this because Adam hates this song. Craig hates this song. It's the pinnacle of a genre, or at least a big keystone of it. And I think it's absolutely incredible. And once again, this week, I had so much pleasure listening to this song on repeat. Let's go. Well, 
fuck yeah. It's Phil Collins, everybody. It's in the air tonight, and it's one of the best songs of all time. Adam hates it. He's currently typing into the group chat here. He's going to explain to me why he doesn't like it, and I will read that out momentarily. Um, But yeah, Craig, it's Phil Collins. It's his first solo single after leaving Genesis, and there's a moment in it. Now, obviously, I picked that moment to play for dramatic effect, but there's a moment earlier in the song when it's being very patient and um, reflective, uh, in which he uh, says... Uh, there's a moment where he says, like, you know, um, oh, what is the exact lyric? Sorry, I'm fucking up here because I'm just, I'm just so kind of. Here it is. Well, if you if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. And then people decided that in fact Phil Collins had witnessed a man drowning and refused to save him. There's even a reference to it in Stan by Eminem, um, which I think is a bit more knowing. Yeah, I was going to say that it definitely warrants its placing because it's referenced in another massive song like the Urban Legend. But what wasn't the Urban Legend that? Phil, it wasn't quite that he was a horrible person that didn't help someone drowning, but it's that he was parked like the far side of a lake or something, and he watched someone else not help someone. That was oh, drowning. right, okay. Was closer. I think well, there uh, was like a level of remove that wouldn't have got him in legal. But apparently, trouble. neither of them are true. Also, Adam says most. No. Adam says most overrated song ever. Drums are lauded, but they aren't even that complicated. Jesus Christ, I love it. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> um, so here's the thing, right? Uh, Phil Collins, uh, you're going to enjoy this, Craig. In an interview with the BBC. Uh, Collins confessed that the 1981 song is, quote, an introspective look at his divorce from his first wife. Divorce core! <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the quote. Um, he's asked directly, what exactly is In the Air Tonight about? He says, I don't know what this song is about. When I was writing this, I was going through a divorce. And the only thing I can say about it is that it's obviously in anger. It's the angry side or the bitter side of a separation. So what makes it even more comical is when I hear these stories which started many years ago, particularly in America, someone saying, did you really see someone drowning? I said, no, wrong. And then every time I go back to America, the story gets Chinese whispers. It gets more and more elaborate. It's so frustrating because this is one song out of all the songs probably that I've ever written that I really don't know what it's about, you know? And then he's asked, where does the line wipe off that grin come from? He goes, well, it's that smug look that someone who thinks they've got one over on you, you know? They think they've convinced you that what they're doing is telling you the truth. And in fact, you know, it's a lie, a pack of lies. I mean, it's, you know, it's one lie after another. So there you go. He sounds like a very... Sounds like a man that's met Steve Harley. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a very healthy man. And of course, yeah, the the divorce court prophecy that Craig uh, once foretold... I love that. Is, is, yeah. is, ...is full circle now. I think it's a wonderful song and I will not apologise. Much like I didn't apologise when I uh, bought Saint Anger on vinyl this week. So I'm really going all in. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Maybe you and, and you a drummer. I know. What a snare though. Listen, maybe I'm getting too drunk with power over here, you know. Maybe it's time for me to step away from the show. And that's what I'm gonna do. That's the end of our top five, and it's the end of my run as no encore co-host. For a week. I'm taking a week, a week. off. <laughs> but I will say Well deserved. Enjoy your time Thanks, off. Thanks, man. But before we get going, before I wrap it up, uh, I will say, I mean, I can't imagine it would ever happen. But if I did find myself out for a stroll on some kind of weird moonlight and I saw a man drowning, and that man was Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. You better believe <laughs> that I would dive straight in and help him out, because without him, we are nothing, Craig. He is the most, he is the best. Very big of he you. Is wonderful. Also, hit up Adam on, on his socials, by the way, My Fault Music, because he's currently doing Movember for a very good cause. You can check that out. You can help him out and help out other people in the process, too. Craig, who will be helping you out next week? Zara Hederman. Yeah, Super Sub is in. I'm very excited about that. It's been a while, and yeah, it's going to be... The episode, I think, 
watch this space. All right. Well, enjoy that, listener. I know I will. And uh, thanks for listening. Patreon.com slash Noancore if you want to help us out. And uh, I hope we understand music just a little bit better at the end of this episode. So my name is Dave Hanready. His name is Catalan Craig Fitzpatrick. And this has been Noancore. Good luck. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.